Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, who are giving their place on the Leinster jersey to the Irish Heart Foundation for a day in support of the CPO for Schools programme. It's Tuesday, Matt. What are we doing here? Who got, why are we here on a Tuesday? Um, there's just too much sport this week, so we had to basically split the podcast into two. Yes, so uh, what we're going to do is on Friday, we're going to do our big GA bumper uh, preview package podcast. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about the Champions Cup final that's on in the weekend and Ireland's first ever test cricket match, which is also spanning the weekend and we hope well into early next week. Yeah, hopefully the team makes it span the weekend as opposed to the weather. Precisely, yeah. Uh, but for, there is that amount, a huge amount of sport on this week. So much so that uh, last night was a Monday night and I was up watching sport until the guts of 11 o'clock. Yes, the thrilling snooker final, yeah. Which you weren't watching. No, I wasn't watching. <laughs> as a form of protest. As a form of protest. <laughs> well, purely because on Saturday night I was at home watching Hawkins and Williams, which is a fantastic game and, and it struck me my dad's a huge snooker fan and I, I, I thought to myself, is he watching this at the moment? So I actually rang him and uh, we ended up doing that thing that teenage girls do of having a conversation whilst watching the snooker together. I mean, kind of going, oh, what a shot or oh, he's left that on. Teenage girls do that with snooker, do they? Well, not so much with <laughs> snooker, but with just life, I think. And um, and as we were conversing, uh, he said, oh, and I'm, it's, I'm not going to get to see the final. And I thought he was referring to the fact that he's he was going to be away on Sunday and Monday. But it turns out that, and I didn't realise he did this for the last number of years, he refuses to watch John Higgins since the <laughs> unpleasantness of a few since years ago. Since the unpleasantness. Hmm. That's hilarious. That, um, it's quite a stand for your dad to take. It is, considering he's genuinely a huge snooker fan. And it kind of made me think, well, he's, he's spot on here, actually. I also have a problem with John Higgins being in a world final. And so I didn't watch the world final either. I taped it and I might watch it back now that I know that Williams has won. But uh, <laughs> the, the only thing is, it's a really slippery slope because if I basically took this stand on yeah. everything, I'll have to skip the World Cup in Russia. I have to skip the one four years later in the Qatar. Yeah. yeah, there would be a lot of sports you'd, I'd miss out on. I'd never see any cycling. You'd see very, fairly little, all right. Yeah. Not that, that you watch all that much of it anyway. No. Say. Uh, yeah, and also, was John Higgins... Was it, was it really such a crime? Was, was he not just kind of stitched up by a newspaper? He was stitched up by a newspaper, but he also seemed to very... De- like. So he never got done or banned for match fixing. What he got banned for was essentially bringing the game into disrepute mm. by... He, not reporting. He, he never reported it. Yeah. And that makes it very questionable. And I think for a lot of people, it made them find themselves thinking, OK, we never know. These guys are so good and so precise at what they do. When the shot rattles the jaws of a pocket and comes out, they could do that deliberately if they wanted to. And um, and so some people were turned off by the whole thing. Wow. Mm. Well, you and your dad, Mr. Cracker, it yeah. was a, a, an amazing snooker match. And I, I watched, most years watched the World Championships. I actually didn't get to see any of it this year just through circumstance up until I would say seven o'clock yesterday and I watched the final session uh, and Higgins was making a massive comeback. Uh, and got it back like from 14-7 down got it back to 15 all it was incredible stuff like talk about ice in his veins then Williams went 17-15 up and had a pink to more or less finish it off 
and missed it. Just kind of stupid miss. And then uh, Higgins cleared up. Like he was 65 down and he cleared up with a 67. It was jaw-dropping stuff. Uh, and then Williams cleared it up. It was it was absolutely fascinating stuff. In, in the way a snooker can be. Just that kind of mesmerising battle of wills uh, over and back. And the margins are so tiny. Um, you missed a cracking game there has been some hypnotic games mm. over the last while Hawkins and Williams in particular on Saturday night was it was proper snooker it wasn't even about um, balls being potted it was snooker that they were playing against mm. each other and it was superb stuff of course you also missed uh, Mark Williams doing the press conference naked afterwards but I don't think you feel too bad about that no I, I think I'm okay with that definitely 43 year old 16 stone yeah. Mark Williams waddling into the press conference with a beach towel around him to hide his modesty <laughs> I don't think anybody would have minded if he didn't follow through on his promise. Yeah, there. you don't have you can welch on the odd bet. Yeah, I think you? you can, and yeah. I think he should have welched on that one. <laughs> always the key with that is always do the John Milan thing. Say I'll ride a horse naked because then they have to go and get you a horse. <laughs> I think John Milan would have happily taken up that bet if Watford had won the All Ireland. Uh, well, that's the, the snooker over with. Uh, we are going to move on. We have the Champions Cup. Uh, final coming on this weekend and we have Gavin Comiskey and John O'Sullivan in to talk about Leinster against Racing. Gavin, I'll start with you. It seems a bit, little bit weird to me uh, when we think about the Champions Cup, when we think about what the competition was gerrymandered into a couple of years ago by the English and French clubs, that yet here we are, Leinster, an Irish club, are going into the final and they're 10-point favourites. They're overwhelming favourites. Really, you have to kind of wonder, how has all that come about? It was very interesting. At Stuart Lancaster's press conference yesterday, a journalist came over from Bilbao and he started asking about, um, he goes, one question at the end and he goes, uh, he was comparing, he compared Leinster to Cruyff and Ajax and all that. And uh, he, he just came out and said, and to put it to Lancaster, he goes, you know all about culture, can you explain what it is? And Lancaster said, uh, he goes, yeah, the beauty of this is the most remarkable thing I've ever seen that like 95% of these people are from Leinster. I don't think there's anywhere like that in the world. And the journalist from The Sun popped up and said, yeah, Gledigo Bilbao have only picked Basque players now. <laughs> but that's what's happened. The most, one of the most remarkable rises from the Leinster school system into the academy systems and they've streamlined it and they've got it so right. And we are now seeing also Dan Levy and James Ryan are two of the best players to have come through that system mm. possibly ever. And they, they're both coming to fruition now. We are seeing a perfect storm of a bunch of lads with medals from Rob, Issa, Johnny Sexton and all that combined with some of the best talent that Irish rugby's ever produced. Um, that well, Actually, the most remarkable thing, I suppose, about the rise of Irish rugby again at, at provincial level is a monster getting to semi-finals. Um, I think it's actually an indictment though, of the English club game as much as anything mm. else. It's extraordinary, John, though, isn't it? That, you know, it is literally only three, four years since everybody was talking about how this competition was not necessarily going to be beyond the Irish clubs, but you certainly won't, weren't going to be talking about two of them in the semi-finals uh, year on year. You certainly weren't going to be talking about one of them being such heavy favourites in a final. Yeah, I think if you look at it, there's there's an element of good fortune in it as well. As Gavin pointed out, you know, you get a group of players coming together. These players are used to winning from a young age. So they're not really phased by these things. And the maturity, the emotional and physical maturity of the players coming through is very, very striking. You look at James Ryan, Dan Levy, Andrew Porter, Jordan Larmer. They just embrace the culture when they go into Leinster. They understand what's demanded of them. They're emotionally mature and they're able to play straight away. And they fit into teams. And they're exceptional athletes as well. So 
Leinster have, and you make your own luck to a certain degree, they have a fantastic system, the players are coming in on a regular basis and uh, that's made a huge difference. They're and pros since they're 14, John, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. So they, mm-hmm. they understand the diet culture, the strength and conditioning, you know, 154 training sessions a week, doing their own work afterwards. Yeah, this. and that, that's all very well, but uh, everybody else gets paid to come to work as well, you know, and over in England and in France, they get paid more and there are more of them. Um, well, the French system, granted, they have they have it down as in they're, they're fleecing this, the Pacific Islands and they're fleecing all South African, like Grey College as a, as a, as a straight system from Blomfontein to Montpellier. But um, if you talk to anyone, any Irish or any English players who've played a bit of time in French rugby, the club systems are a shambles. The physio is a mess. You're getting, like Ian Madigan had a terrible year in Bordeaux because instead, coming from this uh, state-of-the-art strength and conditioning set, set up at Leinster, they were just doing stretches. You know? <laughs> he, he said it was, it was weird. Like he, it was like going back to the amateur days where he was finding himself getting injured because it was like basically yoga instead of strength and conditioning. But you know? he should join, join an inter-county team, he'd get better than that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Uh, we, are, we are at the cutting edge in that regard. Um, so that's, that's very apparent. The French game is just, they're just throwing money at things without real, like racing have really just kept throwing mud at the wall. With, and they've got it right. This is their third, second European final in three years. But when they lost Johnny Sexton, who they were going to build their empire around, what did Jackie Lorenzetti do? He goes, who's the greatest out half of all time? <laughs> Might as well just get him in when he's 34 <laughs> years old. And it worked because Dan Carter came on in the semi-final and completely beat Claremont in Claremont with two flashes of absolute mm. brilliance. But uh, as far as deep-rooted stuff that continues on and on and on, Leinster have it solved. Let's talk about wrestling for a while, John. Um, the, the idea uh, of, of French teams is that, you know, that they grand, they have big squads, they have great players, all that sort of stuff, but the schedule in France just batters them into, into submission. That's not necessarily the case with wrestling here. No, once you, you, there's that kind of veneer of, oh yeah, they're flogged to death. But once you kind of peel away the layers, you realise that, for example, in their most recent victory against Ajon, none of the players that started that match started the game against Munster. So they, it was a completely new team. Only one player has played four matches in a row in the last 10 for Racing. So they do spell their players. I think there are three players that have, or four players that have played three matches hmm. during that, in a row, during that space of time. So they, they are able to spell their players. The injuries that they have to Mashno and Sarzewski have caused a few problems for them. But yeah, no, they're, they're not flogged to death and they do they do look after their players to a certain degree. Um, for example, they have had four different out-halves in their last six matches. Darcy has an interesting column though coming this week in the sense that uh, he was like, they come at, racing will come at you with spurts of power rugby and they completely destroyed Munster with their one spurt in that game. Because then he pulled out a few clips of uh, the lazy runners from 50 minutes to 80 mm-hmm. minutes where... Like four or five of their players, mainly their heavy, their heavy big back row and and locks, were just walking back into the defensive line. Leinster will cut them to shreds if this is the case in second, in the third or fourth quarter of this game on Saturday in Bilbao. Uh, so like they don't play eighty minutes of rugby. You know no, what I mean? Spoke about this they before. play fifty, sixty minutes of rugby and then they have no gas left because their fitness levels are nowhere near the standard of Irish teams in particular. Yeah, I agree with Gav. I think we spoke about it before in a podcast here a few weeks ago. Um, They're not fit enough to sustain 80 minutes at that high level. Mm. So they have to take rests during matches. They had a fantastic start against Munster. They played brilliantly for 30 minutes. And then if you watch the last 50 minutes, 
as Gav rightly pointed out, some of them are walking, some of them are not getting to rucks. There's holes all over the place. They they are they they Munster allow did, a lot Munster of clean breaks. Munster didn't have the creative game to, to pull themselves yeah. back into it. Leinster do. Munster got destroyed at the breakdown. JP Doyle, it actually should have been 40 or 50 points. JP Doyle, I thought, completely road racing at the breakdown, especially Eddie Benaroos. If Leinster do not sort out, he's a loose head prop, but he is the best open side in the world nearly at the moment. <laughs> well, they face the same challenge. Leinster face the they exact same challenge. They need to remove challenge. him, and that's what Fardy's brilliant at. That's what Keane Healy's brilliant at. That's what so many of the lads are. They need to remove him from over the ball um, because if he gets over the ball like he got over the Munster ball, that's when the game can change and go their way. I think in the quarterfinal, if you look at the Scarlets, uh, Leinster faced the exact same challenge. So the Scarlets have a brilliant back row, superb over the ball, Tygburn, uh, James Davis, uh, Aaron Shingler, John Barkley. It's the exact same with Rassing. If you look at Rassing, they were uh, foot perfect in their uh, semi-final against Munster. They got in, they blew away the, the, the Munster players over the ball, they protected their own ball really well. They got in uh, over the Munster ball, so it was chop tackle low, one high, one low, and third person in whenever they felt an opportunity, sniffed an opportunity, got in, latched onto the ball, and they caused Munster all sorts of problems. Because once you get in for a second, then referees are going to give you the well, benefit of the doubt. That's the thing, though. The English, it'd be interesting to see how Wayne Barnes and JP Doyle might referee the same way. Because in England, it's all about the scrum half gets the ball, scrum half gets the ball, the offensive yeah. team gets rewarded. And like uh, Doyle kept telling Benny, uh, Eddie Benaroos to get off the ball where he should have had 10 turnovers or five, six t- turnovers in that mm. game. He kept getting over it and he kept getting told to release it. If Wayne Barnes refs the same way, happy days for Luke McGrath, but uh, if he actually lets the guy come in legitimately and do that, if you want to beat Leinster, you slow their ball. That's the Stuart Lancaster way of playing rugby is quick, 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 tempo, mm. tempo, tempo, play what you see in front of you. And it's why they've gone, Leinster have, he's taken all these young guys. It's a, This is what I mean by a perfect storm. They've got a coach who has come through his whole way up is like developing young players in the English system, English system. Then we, Leinster take him in and I've given him all these young guys who he's just gone, just go play your rugby. You know what I mean? But if you slow that ball, that's where they can mess this game up. How much of a loss is Machino for us? He's everything to them. He's their entire... Again, I, I direct you to Darcy's column where he talks about how everything <laughs> revolves around him. They don't revolve around an out-half. That's why they could throw a surprise and start Dan Carter. That's what I was going to ask. Like, is the knock-on like effect... Patrick Lambie's not going to win you a Champions Cup match, I don't think. Springbok out-half, but never really a, a great out-half. Um, Maybe they leave Carter there for the end, though. Yeah, the game could be over by the end. Like, I think there's... I actually, if everything, worst case scenario, I think racing do something similar to what they did to Munster and break free and uh, get a 14 point lead or something like that. But Leinster are still going to come back with 25, 30 points. They will still win the game. You, If you start Carter, you have a chance. But then they have to change their whole philosophy, which everything goes through the nine. They have to reverse that. They're, the Machino thing all really does feel like the, the turning of the game. And Luke McGrath has been declared fit since last week, so... Leinster have all their ducks in a row. I, I can't see how, unless they have another kid coming in a scrum half, there's going to be another mini Machino. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I think they've had, if you look at the fact that they didn't bring any of their first team uh, down to, I think they played in Van because Beyonce was playing in the U, U Arena. And Jay-Z. So, and Jay-Z. Uh, <laughs> so they went <laughs> off. Uh, it's money talks in those circumstances. Uh, and they, they have been preparing for this game for two weeks. So they'll, ha- they'll have a game plan. They know the way Leinster play. The, the issue for, for Racing and for every other team in the competition is so far is how do you stop Leinster? Gav touched on it earlier on. You slow down their their ball, but they can play. Leinster can play in so many different ways, as they have proved throughout this campaign. It's been uh, uh, if you look at what they've achieved, you look at the teams that they have beaten. 
You look at, you know, kind of the English champions, the two-time and reigning European champions, the Pro 14 champions. They have found a way to win against different styles. The one team that the pushed Exeter them... The win was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, one team that pushed them was the Chiefs. So, but they can play you in so many different ways. Now, Racing will come back. They'll have, they'll have identified a number of weaknesses. They'll try and get it wide because Leinster have proved... If you look at the... the Teams that have been successful against Leinster in terms of scoring tries, the position in which Leinster concede most tries is out wide. So they will look, and you've got Teddy Thomas, and to be fair, uh, even if he's well marshaled, he is so difficult to stop. Mm. His footwork, his balance, his power, he plays with a joy that you just kind of, you you enjoy watching, basically. But, but still, who'll be, who'll be up against him? James Lowe. Right. Yeah, case. but again, uh, Tom, Teddy Tomas' third try, well, I watched his third try because he popped it to Machinot in the dead ball area. Uh, that monster should never have. I've watched it again this morning. They really, he stepped inside and he should have been milled. Like, And the lessons are learned. He, 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 he did Ireland in Paris when Murray broke loose and he, he, he burnt it through everybody. They... Uh, Gary Ringrose it, the whole thing is if Munster had been just pushing out if their defence had been up and out and pushed out a bit more Teddy Tomah wouldn't have got his one-on-ones and wouldn't have done what he did that day Well they, they, they talk about overfolding which is that you you run too fast to the touchline which leaves you vulnerable to a step back inside and that's exactly what happened three of them went straight past Tomah thinking that you know we need to get outside and, and kind of firefight and he just steps inside and Vakatawa did it in the centre as well he steps back inside so it's, it's a phrase if you overfold then you're going to have problems. But Leinster will know that as well. They'll, they'll have Take to trust their now, now, yeah. defensive system. They've seen so much from Tomat. That's the way he plays. He, if, if you do those things, he, he's, um, and he's very strong as well. That's the other thing. He's quick, he's strong, he's fantastic footwork. And the guy who's playing 13 is a Fijian wing. He did extremely well. But both of them, again, both of them miss a lot of tackles. And this is what Leinster will pick up on as well. Oh, they're I definitely mean, attacking him, yeah. I think that Vakatawa missed, he, uh, he had to make seven tackles in the match and missed three of them. Tomam is four tackles in the last game. So they are vulnerable going the other way. So it's a bit like, for Leinster, it's make sure you hang on to the ball. And they've done that superbly in all their matches, for the most part, is they don't give you back the ball. They kick to contest, they get it back, they work you, work you, work you, work you. And suddenly, the French, uh, and particularly Racing, looking at some of their games as well, they're not the most disciplined side. They, They tend to kind of take the odd punt, particularly out wide, and, and that's why they miss so many tackles. What really struck me about Leinster in the semi-final is just, just how overwhelming they are. You know, the, the, you know everybody went into that, that Scarlet's game going, you know, Scarlet's a good team, that, you know, puncher's chance and whatever. But it was like it was out of question within the first 20 minutes, half an hour. It was just the, the, the sheer force of them, the sheer overwhelming, no mistake, no... Everything was just so so comprehensive about the w- the way they did it. I wonder, is there any chance that they're going in here, like they're so settled, like there's no worries over Luke McGrath, there's no worries over like you know the the before the last game whether you know they'd have to pick James Lowe or whatever. Oh, their team is settled. Everybody, the the injuries are long terms. There's nobody. They're not worrying about everybody. Is there is overconfidence, Gav, at any stage a, a, a problem here? No, I mean, no, not with this group because like their leaders are Eason Asiwa, Scott Fardy, and Johnny Sexton, um, who have been bringing up these young bunch of guys and all these kids: Luke McGrath, James Ryan, Dan Leave. They've all been captains at underage. There's 
we talk, you, their emotional maturity and intelligence it is quite impressive but in that game best player on the pitch Scott Fardy mm. you know the signing that uh, Leo Cullen insisted upon and said promise he's a lock uh, but at blindside <laughs> he was he's proven it like he check it brought him back in and make it and one, he was one of the best blindsides at the World Cup in the 2015 he's an unbelievable signing but what he did in that game was he made sure that the the Tigburn, uh, the James Davis, the plan of, of slowing Leinster ball down was just not going to happen on his watch. He was ferocious. You know? So, no, I don't see any problem in that regard. It's really easy to... There's so much confidence in this Leinster team because of what they did to Saracens and because of what they did to mm-hmm. Scarlets. And particularly, you said it, that Chiefs, those two Chiefs games in December was when I went, OK, this is clearly the best coached and the best best team in Europe. And it, they can probably only defeat themselves. Is that it, John? Like they're they're that that well settled and that well well I don't know well planned. That what, think, what what like what can what can go wrong here? I think it's Leinster's to lose. I think Gav touched on it there. If you look at the say the semi final against Clermont, uh, if you start poorly against Racing and you invite them into the game and you give them ball and you can't slow it down and they create some chances out wide and they take those chances and I think that's like that pack the key will create to the it though in the first thirty minutes, John. Racing will get that, as Darcy yeah. writes about it. Is that ten minutes of power surge rugby? Their pack is so ferocious that that will happen. Like they will make ground, they will get an opportunity. It'd be just very interesting to see if it's Dan Carter staring down Sexton at some stage. I think that if you look at the way Racing try and play, Leinster will have an aggressive line speed. They'll understand that if you can get... Racing throw a, a lot of 50-50, particularly Nakarawa in the second row, throws a lot of 50-50 offloads. Um, they look t- to offload in the tackle, so therefore they're taking chances all the time. If Leinster get their line speed right and their organisation right, there will be chances there for them on Racing ball, when Racing do have the ball. The other thing that was abundantly clear in the Munster match is that... Racing wanted to play at that quick tempo uh, and they did really effectively and then they created mismatches out wide and that gave them the opportunity to score tries. Leinster will be well aware of that in terms of committing players and if you look at this, the uh, semi-final against the Scarlets, uh, the Scarlets fanned out a lot and they gave Leinster a platform through the guts as they say. Mm. So Leinster did a lot of that pick and jam and then they got the Scarlets to narrow and then they went wide. It was just really clever rugby. It's understanding what way your opponents are trying to play, how they're trying to stop you, working this out and problem solving for yourself. And Leinster have done that brilliantly through the, the, it, the matches so far. And we talked about, before the Scarlet's game, we talked about Ty Byrne could come in and prove himself to be the, the next great Irish forward and all that. Dev Toner was just dragging him out of rooks. They, were just, they didn't let him anywhere near it. There was foul, foul play, but you know, they wouldn't let him anywhere near ball. They were grabbing him by his scrum cap anyway to get him off ball, you know what I mean? So Dunnick Ryan needs to have and he actually has been the, the key figure in this racing pack. He, he certainly figured out Munster, probably because he knew their line out. But they will, if Donica Ryan is quiet, if you don't see him, if you're just seeing him, if you're just seeing him sucking air, you know for a fact that Leinster, have, they've taken him out. If Benner, Benny, Eddie Benarus is not getting over ball, Fardy's removed him. Um, but if all those things aren't going that way, if that racing pack gets into that position, um, a surprise can happen because it's only a surprise that would stop Leinster from winning this Champions Cup I think final. the line will be quite interesting because if you look at it uh, Racing lost uh, f- four lineouts against Munster and it cost them hugely but on the other side of the coin uh they also, if you look at Nianga, is a huge set. They're quite an athletic line-out. You've got Nakarawa, you've got Donica Ryan. So they'll put pressure on Leinster's line-out. And given the platform that the set-piece plays in the modern game and to launch everything like that, that, that's a really important area. So I think Leinster will certainly feel that they can get after Racing and deny them that platform just 
makes it more and more difficult. Well, the confidence is, is overwhelming and uh, I presume it'll only get uh, more so as the week goes on. Listen, lads, thanks for coming in and uh, thanks for talking us through that. And, uh, well, I don't know, we were go, go, <laughs> going into a Champions Cup final with an Irish team and people think that there's no way they can lose. It seems weird to me, but anyway, we'll enjoy it as it happens. All right, lads, thanks a million and uh, cheers. No problem. Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, proudly supporting the Irish Heart Foundation and its CPO for Schools programme, equipping secondary school teachers and students with the skills to save lives. To support the programme, text 4HEART to 53000 to donate €4. Euro. Now we've got a chance to go to the Super 8s. We have got a massive fucking chance to stay in the West Indies for an extra four weeks. It's up to every single one of us and see how much we want to fucking stay here, because I can promise you it's going to be tough out there. And that foul-mouthed Aussie is sitting across from me. Trent Johnson, uh, the former Irish cricket captain, is in here with Emmett Reardon, our cricket writer in the Irish Times, to talk about a massive event that's coming up this weekend, Ireland's first ever test match. Uh, we're playing Pakistan out in Malahide uh, over the weekend. Uh, Trent, thanks for getting roped into this, essentially, I think is the best way to put it to you. How exactly are you sitting here 20 hours after you left Sydney? Yeah, I suppose myself and Emmett have always stayed in contact with each other. Um, and I think he got me at a bad moment at about half two in a <laughs> pub in Sydney and um, uh, in the morning um, and asked if we would be uh, interested in coming in and having a, a few words. So um, here I am. Well, Arrived great. last night and uh, fresh as a daisy. Fresh as a daisy. And uh, Emmett has brought buns in keeping with uh, the cricket theme. So uh, we're all delighted. Well, the first test, and of course, people say to you, like, you know, it's lunch, you know, when you go through, but it's lunch and tea, and it's very important. So, yes, I brought in some buns for the occasion. Excellent. Test match special style. So tell us, Emmett, uh, how did we get here? I guess we, we may as well do a small bit of a history lesson, how, how we got to this point. Well, I, I, I'm going to go with recent history. I mean, yeah. we can go to the history of Ireland playing cricket since 1855. It's our oldest international yeah, sport. Yeah, we only have 15 minutes. Exactly, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, actually, I think it starts... <laughs> <laughs> I think it actually starts with Trent Johnson and possibly the famous uh, <laughs> halftime uh, team talk in the, in the dressing room at Sabina Park. Um, Ireland had obviously tied against Zimbabwe, but that win against Pakistan changed absolutely everything. It was an incredible occasion. Listening back to a few podcasts about it and watching a bit of YouTube clips again, it's still amazing to look back on it. it but but sporting-wise, uh, that was the catalyst. And That's that, only 11 years ago. It is only 11 yeah. years ago, and a lot has changed slowly at the start, but obviously um, there was yeah, Ireland had to keep adding to that. It wasn't they had to keep you know moving on qualifications for other World Cups, obviously 2011, 2015. Mm. The success, and I know Trent was very big on this, was the Intercontinental Cup and this will stand to us hopefully <coughs> in our test cricket. And Trent was always <coughs> saying this is important. We have to play multi-day cricket and we have to be good at it. And he captained the side that I think were unbeaten through long, long periods of time. So these were very important to get to that stage. Obviously the latest World Cup we're not going to qualify for but test cricket is, on, is, is, is now on the... Uh, is on the cards. I'm looking forward to it now on, on, on Friday. In your days uh, uh, playing Trent, did like was this this was the ultimate goal, I guess, to a certain degree, or at least one of them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, Emmett touched on 2007, and that was the the start of the an amazing journey. Um, you know, look back in 12 years, lots a lot of sort of waters flown under uh, swept under the bridge, I mm. suppose. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of hard work to get here, you know. Um, it's just not the players, the coaches, volunteers, all that sort of stuff. So um, it's going to be a pretty amazing day in Malahide on Friday, um, you know. 
Um, it's going to be exciting um, to see the, to, to see the eleven guys walk out there and represent Ireland, um, and to know that you've played a little part in that is pretty special. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Did you consider? Did you think that they'd get there eventually? Oh, I think so. Um, you know, Emmett touched on there as well our success during the World Cups, but I think uh, probably our lack of success in between those World Cups probably hindered us getting to this stage uh, a lot quicker. Um, so, you know, I think that. You know, with our success in the four-day tournament, um, the Intercontinental Cup, we were always knocking down the door in multi-day cricket. But I think our white ball success probably hindered our sort of progression to full member status mm. um, outside of those World Cups. So, you know, but I think the guys did a fantastic job. Um, they're going to be very competitive on Friday um, because Pakistan don't have an experienced team um, and aren't used to playing in these conditions. So it's look out Malahide. <laughs> Emma, talk to us about the differences and what what we can expect from from Ireland starting off. Um, uh, obviously, we have a lot of players who played a lot of multi day cricket, but even the step up from first class cricket, even county cricket to test cricket, it's significant. Um, trying to say Pakistan are are an inexperienced side, but they'll still have batsmen who can bat all day long. They'll have people who can, you know. I think one of their batsmen scored a big score there against Northampton the other day, and they'll have somebody who can stay in all day and score one hundred and twenty runs. So patience is the word. I mean, patience is the absolute word when it comes to first-class cricket and test cricket. Guys like Ed Joyce, he's 39 years of age. He's got one of the greatest cricket brains I've ever witnessed, um, and he's, he, his significance to Irish cricket is, is incredible. So someone like him, it's important for him to be in there. Players like Niall O'Brien, <coughs> who's very experienced and in great form as well, two big centuries in the last uh, fortnight. Um, Bowling-wise, it's going to be tough, and there's a lot of interesting selections from the Irish side as well. But bowlers need to be patient as well, Trent, isn't that? That is the thing. You, like, and you, you were very good at this in, in multi-day cricket. I mean, you can't just always be looking to take a wicket. It's a case of working over the batsman, seeing what they're doing, seeing what the field is doing. Uh, maybe Trent will talk a bit about about how a bowler gets a wicket in a test match. Yeah, I think it's I think it's about about applying that pressure. Like, I don't. It doesn't matter what level of cricket you play. If you apply enough pressure, you're going to get wickets. Um, so that's about you know you. Um, you know, dotting the batsman up, having a good field, um, not 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 t- not releasing that pressure off the batsman to give him an easy four ball or something like that. So, I think if Ireland can do that, for me, Ireland have to bowl first, get get themselves into the game, um, put Pakistan under pressure. You know, if, if the weather continues to be something like this, the wicket might have a little bit in it early. Uh, try and nice use and that nice and green. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly like some Patrick's Day two thousand and seven. And, you know, really go from there. I think apply the pressure and they've got to take their opportunities. There's going to be plenty of chances coming out there. They're young. You know, Emmett did mention there's a couple of experienced batters, but there's also some young, inexperienced guys. They could have five or six debutants as well. So You talked about the conditions there. Like, <clears throat> as you say, like Pakistan wouldn't, obviously, wouldn't have too much experience of it. Like, what sort of advantage can that be for Ireland? Well, it's, it's Ireland's home ground. They play there all the time. They know what the wicket's going to do. Um, they've obviously had communications with the groundsmen to set the wicket up a certain way. Um, you know, you heard uh, the coach talk about you know in, in his selection that their strategies and how they're going to go about trying to win the game. So obviously the wicket comes into that. Um, I, haven't, I haven't been around and seen the Malahide wicket for a couple of years, but traditionally they leave a bit of grass on it to get a bit of pace and bounce, and you know it turns and then you know it may slope a little bit towards the back end. So um, you know I think it's a very good wicket for us. Um, to play against Pakistan on. Uh, but like I said, that first session will be key. Get in there, get some wickets, take the chances, um, 
and anything's possible. Well, I think the time of the year is important <coughs> as well because we can negate the the spin aspect. It's hard to take, uh, you know, wickets at this time of the year for a spinner. We see in the selection, George Dockwell is not even in the, in the squad, which I think is a strange one myself. But uh, we probably only start with one frontline spinner, maybe even not a frontline spinner. But the Pakistan do think, side. Do you think that'll be McBride? I think it'll, it'll have to be McBride because he's the only frontline spinner really left in the side. But the also the um, Pakistan team are missing their top leg spinner as well, uh, and he can take wickets on any uh, on any pitch. They have a young leg spinner who could do a job, and as Trent will tell you over the years. Top top quality leg spin, like we've seen with okay. Rashid Khan, Afghanistan. That's what wins test matches, what wins matches. And our players do not play against top quality leg spinner. I can't name you, well, Jack of Mulder up, up, up in the NCU, but I can't tell you. The best leg spinner in uh, uh, Leinster cricket is still probably Mr. Hoey at Trinity. Is that right, Trent? Yeah, I think I think Johnny Anderson's an underbold yeah, yeah. cricketer. Yeah. Um, I was always big for him to to work hard on his leggies because he's certainly, uh, he he's certainly bat, he can bat. He's, he's good enough as a, as a batter, but to have that extra string to his bow, that leg spin, um, is key. Um, I remember we sort of brought Greggy Thompson through mm. in the early days, and I came over, and he was a big leg spinner before Lancashire got hold of him and stuffed him up. Um, it's very hard to, yeah. There's a lot of promising young leg spinners that never uh, never got. Well, have we like, or is this a stupid question? Have we the bowlers to take twenty wickets against Pakistan, or is that is that pitching our Pitching it too high, like well, we're going to need to take twenty wickets to win the game. Yeah, so the I mean. best way of doing that is to bowl first and utilise those conditions first off. Right. So and there's, and there's no better bowler in these conditions Tim than Murtha. Tim Murtha. Yeah. At this time of the year, if you look at his record in England, he by the end of May he would have I don't know maybe over half of the wickets he's going to take for the year because mm. he can move the ball around on these in these conditions. Boyd Rankin, I. I wasn't over at the at the World Cup qualifiers, but I watched a few of the matches on television. I have never seen him look fitter. I think his action is fantastic as well, and I think he's got a real hunger because he had that terrible situation where he was put in and really shouldn't have been put in, but he said he wanted to play obviously, and he played a Test match for England in that in that game in in Sydney. <laughs> Trent uh, Trent probably was there in Australia at that stage, awesome. and it was ter- <laughs> it was a, a terrible situation that he had to be, in. and he wasn't fit to play the game. So I think uh, someone like Boyd would has has something as well. So Boyd Rankin coming in with a bit of fire and Tim Murthy moving the ball around, we win the toss on a green wicket, and uh, yeah, that's the stuff of dreams. All right. Well, let's broaden it out a bit, Emmett. In in general, you know, they, we got to remember this is, this is their first ever Test match. You know, uh, and you were you were telling me earlier about. How long it takes teams to get their first win when they eventually get test status? Like, it would be foolish, really, to be building up uh, this idea that Ireland uh, are going to hit the ground running here. Yeah, and uh, you know, <laughs> cricket is full of stats from the very first day. Everything is recorded, and it's it's wonderful as a journalist. You could, yeah, I know you do a lot of GAA and Pat you as well, and like trying to find stats. Is, but in cricket, you can have too many stats. But th- these are simple. This is the only the tenth, obviously first test match and that's that's the history of it so we're going back to obviously 1877 when Australia beat England so they won their first match um, and obviously England then won the second match both of them in Melbourne but then you go on to the teams that joined South Africa it took 17 years for them to win their first test match so they came in in 1889 didn't win their first test until 1906 now I don't want to hear any cheers in the in the room here but New Zealand took 26 years <laughs> to win their first test and that was they went from 1930 to 1956 so that's you know that just mm. shows you like so if you were if you thought like you started following test cricket in New Zealand when they played the first test match <clears> you mightn't have lived uh, you know to, to see I them think you can have a look game. at I don't know if you got the stats there but also teams like Bangladesh who we'd probably play a lot of test cricket against mm. moving forward Sri Lanka 
um, also. Uh, Zimbabwe, you know, that would have taken them into it, 10, 12, 15 years to win a, yeah, a test it, match as well. Absolutely. I mean, they, if you look at Zimbabwe, they made their debut in 92 and their first win was in 95, but it was still the 11th test match. Uh, Sri Lanka, it took a long time as well. And you also had like, what, what we'll, look, looking forward to what Ireland will do, the one advantage we have is that Afghanistan are also a test uh, play nation. <coughs> now, whether we have the ability to beat Afghanistan, who... I think Trent Degrees are a fantastic side and have the bowlers to take 20 wickets. And it's all about the bowlers. Mm. Plenty of batsmen can, can, can make runs. But, um, so, but they will be fascinating. And when we play against Afghanistan, that will be our level. And that's if we can compete against Afghanistan, and I'm serious here, I, don't, I think it's a case that we will need to be able to compete against them. We can, we can, we're kind of level enough with them in 50-over cricket, their 2020 cricket. So I think they, that will be the interesting thing. Would you agree, Trent, for coming down the line? Yeah, I, th I, yeah, I think from Afghan against Afghanistan, I think our chances are probably better with red ball cricket beating them um, than probably white ball at, mm. at the moment. And I think their white ball cricket's... Very good, as um, we found out. As we found out, yeah. and you know you can test that also see by the rankings, the ICC rankings where they are in ODI and T Twenty cricket. So um, I certainly certainly think red ball cricket is our target against mm. Afghanistan. But like Emma said, they've got a, a very very well all rounded team. You've got guys that can get runs. They've got good spinners. They've got good quicks, left and right arm. You know both. So um, you know Simo is obviously over there coaching John Mooney doing a bit of work with them so mm. they have Irish sort of interest there from a coaching point of view as well the penetration <laughs> of the game with the with the broader sporting public here Trent like how much of uh, how much of that were you aware of you know playing on the inside and how mu how important or otherwise was it to you uh, personally it's not really that important to me mm. um, but from an organization's point of view it certainly was like 2007 like we didn't know what was going on back here but we obviously got you know, a lot of journos were over there and, you know, we saw the newspaper and, and you know, we obviously come back and did, you know, the, the Late Late Show and all that sort of mm. stuff. So met you could, Bertie. Yeah, met Bertie and, um, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, taxi drivers were recognising you and people were coming up and shaking your hand when you're yeah. in Tesco and all that sort of stuff. That's not something that I really sort of look for, but I think from an organisational point of view, it certainly lifted the profile. And uh, you're, you, as you say, you personally is not something that you're that interested in. But was for players, is it more? Is it, is there any sense of well, we're not just doing this alone, or we're, this isn't just us doing it for ourselves, or are you as a are, is a team a kind of a tight unit that you just have to kind of do things? Well, for if, it, if if you go back to two thousand and seven, we were certainly probably when we left. Ireland, we were doing mm. it for ourselves in a small cricketing community. Mm. Uh, but certainly when we come back seven weeks later, you know, you had the interest in cricket was massive. Mm. Um, so, and then through promotion and performances and, you know, being able to employ a lot more people to get into schools and lift the profile of the game, the, the, the game's taken off. Um, you know, it's unfortunate it's taken nearly 12 years for us to get the Test Match cricket since that World Cup. Mm. But, you know, it's here now, we've got it. Um, and it's going to be an, an amazing event out at Malahide on, on Friday. And you, Emmett, I mean, like, it's obviously been a game you've followed all your life. You are, the, you like, as a, Trent refers to the small Irish cricket community. Well, you know, yeah, well I, I'm not from a cricketing background. I'm my, kind of West Limerick hurling my father <laughs> yeah. would have been from. And actually one of the people who got me into cricket was Breen O'Rourke, who was who's been a Lentus development officer and Irish cricket development officer for years. And he is, you know, has brought the likes of Owen Morgan along to, to, to play mm -hmm. cricket. Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, and these are, these are the important people, you know. It's very difficult as well in Ireland because maybe only Australia might be anywhere close to the draw on young, fit 
people. Like mm. I, I look around at game matches, I look at rugby matches, and I see opening bowler. I yeah. see, <laughs> I, I honestly do all rounder. Uh, you know, I look at Sheffield and I go, my God, what a player! Yeah. I remember when DJ Carey was playing hurl? And I was going, look at that. Do you remember the one where the ball came across? He hit the bar and then they came out and he hit it into yeah, the goal. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that's hand-eye coordination that you can't buy. Yeah. Lara doesn't have that. Well, he did. But let's be honest. But do you know what I mean? You probably mm. saw it as well. You probably you you watch. You love your sports, Trent. Yeah. And you probably all the years been watching a game match or watching a rugby match. You're kind of God. He would be a brilliant bowler, wouldn't he? You know, yeah. who who would who would you oh, have said? Always like Paul O'Connell, be a decent bowler. Yeah, you, like it's See the you'd go down in your, in your clubs and you'd have sort of like the the taverners game on a Friday night and you could always see the hurler going out because he'd have the reverse grip <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and he could only hit it over mid wicket yeah. you know and, and the ball travelled three hundred meters if you put and it outside it, the off stump a hurler never hits yeah, it you, yeah it was it was dot city so yeah. Um, but yeah they were fantastic I, I saw I don't know what year it might have been two thousand and eight hurling final I think. Um, probably Kilkenny. Kilkenny beat Waterford, <laughs> hocking yeah. them out the, out yeah. the door. Yeah, no, it, was, yeah. it was unbelievable. I'll, mm. I'll never, never forget the skill level that they showed yeah. that day, and absolutely took them apart. Now, I'm not a big. I, I love the game, but I don't sort of know the. Well, you saw the best team at the, on their best day. Then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was just amazing. You know, you're sort yeah. of sitting there with your mouth open, going, "This is incredible sport." Well, what do you think, Ahmed? Like something like this, can this? Well, first of all, what, what do you think of its penetration among the broader public, and and can this help, and will this help? I think I think the important thing is, and Trent mentioned it earlier on. You had the big competitions, and everyone got on bandwagon or whatever. It was amazing. I mean, I was getting phone calls from people I haven't seen in years. With there was editorials being you know in the paper when we beat England that day. I was on the front page, and there was like fifteen articles the next day in the paper <laughs> or the day after. It was incredible. There was all sorts of columns, but. To harness that, it's about um, it's about television. It's about being on yeah. screen. And the RT, is, RT are never going to do five days of a test match. I wouldn't have thought. Well, it's incredible. <laughs> they are showing highlights, and that alone highlights is, is something. Really. Highlights yeah. is very yeah. important as well. But also, our um, you know the rights have been sold around. And if we're playing test cricket, test cricket will be shown live. Mm. Uh, we're looking nowadays with the likes of you know your airs and your and even online broadcasting. So that's the important thing. Um, newspapers, we all know it's slightly different. Hard to get coverage. Big events this week. Let's look at it. We've got the the, the, the Champions Cup final. It's a We've rough got, weekend. It's a rough to weekend. Be there's, with a lot, sports, there's a lot yeah. going on. Even if you look at the golf in Florida, and obviously the GA is kicking in as well. So yeah, the battle for 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 inches. But the the big thing is television. Would you agree, Chad? And for the kids to watch it then as well. Yeah, it is. But I also think it's. A lot of this will come back onto the players and their performance over the next five days or after Friday, mm. the, the test match. You know, if they can perform well, if, if, if they're beaten, if they can still perform well, well, you know, that'll be, that'll, be, that'll be okay. We'll sort of sit back as, you know, as a country and say, oh, you know, they've done well and you know, Pakistan have, have been a dominant team in international cricket and blah, blah, blah. If they can win, well, then, you know, look out. You know, yeah. we're, we're going to take it it's to true. another level. Mm. So mm. there's a lot of pressure going on those guys to, to make sure that we keep cricket in the in the spotlight and on the back pages if possible. Even though there is a lot of sport going on this weekend, you know, I think that Ireland are the sort of country that support their underdogs and support yeah. winners and, yeah. you know, those sort of things. And, you know, that well, was the key, no, the key no more evident than, you know, Pakistan in 2007 and we, we beat England in 2011. Um, you know, it's... Uh, they, were, they were amazing times. So well, we've mean, got, it's time for us to get back to those course, things and, and we, do it on we, a regular basis. Yeah, and we t and we talk about the weekend sport. The, the key, of course, is getting getting the match to Monday and yeah. and and it, and it being a live match. Well, you know, I think the weather forecast might might, might, might help us. Might help us there. <laughs>
<laughs> and if we're playing on live on television on Monday, <laughs> yeah. you know the way it is, there'll be a lot of people uh, tweeting, watching it. And, and, Big time, and, yeah. and, and, Well, if it's a game of cricket in Ireland, there has to be rain involved. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> there has to be. <laughs> and just back to one last stat. If you take England and Australia out of the picture as far as how long it takes to win your first test, it's nine and a half years. Mm. So if we're back here, in, uh, but I don't think, let's let's be honest, I don't think it's going to take that long. Certainly okay, for, well, uh, for we'll, we'll, we'll aim for one week, never mind nine and a half yeah. years, and we'll see how I get on. <laughs> this time next week. We need that kind of enthusiasm back. Listen, lads, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks for having us out, especially you, Trent. Emmett only had to come. Oh, no, Emmett only had to walk down the stairs. You came from twenty from, hours. From twenty Sydney. hours for a for a cupcake. That's great. Thanks, lads. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks to uh, Gavin and John who were in earlier talking about the rugby. Uh, thanks very much, Pat, and thanks very much, Declan. Uh, you can get us on at a time at irishtimes.com and we'll be. Back later in the week, we'll be back on Friday with our uh, double-handed GEA Championship preview. But until then, we'll see you again, folks. Cheers. Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, who are proud to hand over their Leinster jersey sponsorship to the Irish Heart Foundation for the Guinness Pro 14 semi-final. Mm-hmm.